make our way over to um, Luke chapter 9. Uh, I'm going to start in uh, Matthew chapter 28. I'm just going to read you the Great Commission. You can stay over in the book of Luke. Uh, but I want to just remind you, I want to keep this always in front of you, the simple task that God gave to us as a church. Um, I think we're doing a great job whenever uh, we get into smaller groups and I ask you what the purpose of the church is. Uh, everybody has been right in what they say. And so if I were to ask you what the purpose of the church is, don't answer it out loud just in case you haven't been here a while and you'd be wrong. I don't want you to be embarrassed, but the purpose of the church is found in the Great Commission. Uh, and the purpose of the church is to go and to make disciples. So we're commanded to make something and we're commanded the place where we're to make it. And that's all the world. If you stay here in Windsor, this is your part of the world. If you travel on business to another part of the world, that's where you're to make disciples. So it's wherever you're going in life, Go there and make disciples. Matthew chapter 28 verse 18 says, And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And so we're all on the same sheet of music that we're to go and we're to make disciples. And so that kind of begs the question as to, okay, hopefully you're on board with making disciples. Hopefully you're all in. Like a, like a Texas Hold'em poker game, you've pushed all your chips to the middle and you've said, I am in. No matter what happens, I put everything on the line, I'm going to make disciples. And so the question is, okay, now what is it that I'm supposed to make? Because we've said in the past that uh, when you use the word Christian, that's a word that's only used two times in the scriptures and we've kind of put on it whatever meaning we want. And we've said that if you go with the term disciples, disciple is a term that's readily defined by Jesus Christ. And so if someone says, are you a Christian? You can say yes and you can kind of make up whatever definition you want. If somebody says, are you a follower? Are you a disciple of Christ? It is plainly defined by Jesus and there is no wiggle room. You either measure up or you don't, which is a scary thing to think, right? So I want you to see just a little bit more when it comes to discipleship. I am, uh, before I get to the book of Luke, I'm going to read you something out of the book of Timothy. And this is second Timothy chapter two, Paul's talking to his son in the faith, Timothy. And I want you to see the difference between making a convert, someone who just puts their faith in Christ and making someone who is a true disciple or follower of Christ. Paul tells Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1, You therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. The things that you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust these to faithful men who will also be able to teach others. So what I glean from this before we get into what a disciple looks like is that Paul wasn't content with his preaching ministry if the people just heard and were converted. You following me? What is Paul's mission in teaching Timothy? He says, Timothy, the things that you heard me tell everybody, you take those things and you teach them to faithful men who will be able to teach them to faithful men also. You following me? This is discipleship. This isn't Timothy... Take the things you've heard me preaching and you go preach to the masses also and we'll just be content and we'll let the chips fall where they are. This is no. Paul's not satisfied until Timothy takes all the things that he's learned from Paul and he gives them to someone else who is then giving them to someone else. You with me? And so that means that I shouldn't, as the pastor of this church, be content 
if every Sunday everyone in the auditorium hits the front altar and prays and confesses and believes, I shouldn't be satisfied if the Lord works in all of your hearts. Like, wouldn't that be awesome if every time we showed up, the Holy Spirit was at work in everyone's life and we're all confessing sin and we're all taking the next step in our Christian faith? Like, wouldn't that be a good thing if that happened to just widespread, the Holy Spirit is all over every single one of us and we get everything each week right with the Lord? Like, that would be awesome, right? Paul says, no, that's not what I'm looking for. I expect everyone to have things already right in their lives. And I expect you to take the things that you're hearing to other people, not just any other people, but people who will take them to other people. And so Paul says, I'm not satisfied, Timothy, with what I'm given, what I've given you until you take it to somebody who takes it to somebody else. And we have totally lost sight of that in the American church. Have we not? Like what makes us happy is the American church. Billy Graham crusades. 5,000 people giving their life to faith, like giving their life to Christ. Like, I like that. I'm on board with that. There's a guy named uh, Greg Laurie. He's, he's kind of picking up uh, where Billy Graham left off. He's doing big mega crusades. You can actually, your church can sponsor a Greg Laurie crusade, which we've been trying to do here and there. The timing has just been awful for us. When Greg Laurie does these big conferences, tons of people across America get saved. Paul wouldn't be satisfied with that. Paul says, I'm only satisfied, Timothy, if you take the things that I've taught you and you teach them to people who will then take them to other people and teach them. You see, what if when I delivered a message on Sunday morning, what if I gave it to you with the expectation that you're going to give it to other people? And you're not just going to give it to any people. You're going to give it to people of such caliber that they're going to then take it and give it to other people. And so what if... What if, what if we were all right with the Lord and then we took everything that's been given to you and you gave it to other people who are going to give it to other people? That's a movement. And that's what Christ has called us to, to wherever we go, we're to be making disciples. Say, okay, so what does a disciple look like? We've said that out of Matthew chapter 28, a disciple is someone who obeys the things that Jesus commanded. And so now it's time to start getting into some of the things that Jesus commanded and look at what a disciple looks like. And so now we're over in the the chapter and verse I told you to turn to. That's the book of Luke, Luke chapter 9. And I wanted you to see uh, a simple command that Jesus said that you can't shake because this is something that Jesus told you to do daily, right? So if Jesus tells you to do something daily, it means every morning we should wake up and that's what we should be about. The thing is, is that you never outgrow this command that Jesus has given. This is the command that I wrestle with each and every day. And so we're in Luke chapter 9, and we're in verse 18. It says this. And it happened that while he was praying alone, the disciples were with him. And he questioned them, saying, Who do the people say that I am? And they answered and said, John the Baptist. And others say Elijah, but others that one of the prophets of old has risen again. Verse 20, and he said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Peter answered and said, the Christ of God. But he warned them and instructed them not to tell this to anyone, saying, the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised up on the third day. And he was saying to them all, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake, he is the one who will save it. And so one of the things that I want you to see right off the bat is that 
Peter recognizes who Christ is, and Christ doesn't say, yes, I've accomplished my goal. You have a knowledge of who I am, and that is enough, right? I would kind of compare this to, we're real comfortable saying that, okay, someone grew up in church, through Sunday school, through preaching, they knew all the facts, and that was it. And Jesus says, no, Peter, you knowing the facts, you confessing who I am, that's not the end goal. The end goal is that each day you deny yourself, you pick up your cross, and you follow me. That's what Jesus is after, not simply having a knowledge of who Jesus is. And so what I want you to see is that uh, out of Matthew 28, Jesus telling the, the disciples to go into the world and teach people to obey the things I've commanded you, uh, I've been introduced recently to a guy whose name is Chuck Campbell. Right, So he holds some sort of position within our North Carolina Baptist Convention. And uh, normally, uh, this, is, this might just be my own prideful nature, but usually I keep people with big titles at arm's distance because they make me nervous. And I think, I don't want to get into the, the name game and I don't want to get into all this stuff. But this is a really genuine guy who is really bright. And I've really enjoyed becoming friends with him. And... Um, what I'm going to walk you through is something that the Lord had been laying on his heart for over the course of about 10 years. So his son was uh, graduating from high school, about to graduate from high school, and he felt that the Lord was leading him to disciple his son, but he had no idea how to do it, right? Some of you may be in that same boat, right? You may be thinking, you know, uh, the Lord's working in my life and in my heart. Uh, I'm picking up what the pastor's putting down when it comes to we need to be about discipleship. And you may be exactly where Chuck was, and you go, okay, I'm on board with discipleship, but I have no idea what it looks like. So he goes to Matthew 28, and he learns that discipleship is simply teaching someone to obey the thing Jesus commanded you. And so what Chuck does is over the course of about two years, he begins uh, uh, reading through the scriptures, and he says, well, what I'm going to do is I'm going to pull out every command that Jesus said, and I'm going to kind of, this guy is someone who thinks scholarly. He says, I'm going to kind of catalog them, put them in charts. And I'm going, to, I'm going to see how to go about teaching people to obey the commands of Jesus. Right? Sounds pretty straightforward at this point, right? You with me? Well, there's a couple hundred commands that Jesus walked through, right? And who wants to do a Bible study where you study 200 of something, right? The statistics say, listen to this, the statistics say that if you get into something longer than six weeks, people aren't going to do it because people only want to make six-week commitments, right? That's us. That means we as a society are only interested in committing to something for about six weeks at a time. Don't go longer than that. People won't commit to it. And so he, he boils all of these 200 and some odd commands of Christ down, and he says, you know, they all fit neatly into 10 different categories. And so what he did is he took 10 words, and he was able to uh, fit all the commands of Christ under one of those words, and the first word kind of on the list is, is surrender, right? That's the first thing that Jesus has called us to. And so I want you to see how all of these kind of, all of the commands in this particular verse fit into surrender, and so we're still in Luke chapter 9, and I want you to see that in chapter, excuse me, verse 23, Jesus says to them, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must. So if you want to come after Jesus, you must do three things, and they are to deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. And each of these words are commands. They're called imperatives. Uh, if you're an English major or anything like that, you're familiar with what I'm talking about when I say imperative. I'm going to tell you, an imperative is an authoritative command, right? Do you guys think that Jesus was ever just walking down the street willy-nilly and he's like, oh, and he just started saying things and people just wrote them off and they're like, I don't have to worry about that. 
Any of you have conversations within your family where your husband or your wife is saying something and you just think, ah, that's just them. They're just chatting it up. I don't have to worry about anything they're saying. You're liars if you're thinking no. Okay? You're liars. So Jesus, Jesus wasn't like one of us as a husband or a wife, right? Jesus never was walking down the road and he's t- talking to his disciples and he's never just shooting the breeze, telling them imperative commands and expecting them to just blow off what he says and they just keep walking with him, right? So they weren't walking down the road. Jesus says, hey guys, if you want to follow me, you've got to deny yourself, pick up your cross and follow me. And they're like, ah, we're just trying to get to the Cubs game. That's all we're doing. No, it's not that. It's not that at all. Jesus wants these guys to know, listen, gang, you have a knowledge of who I am. You know more about me than the rest of the world. The rest of the world says I'm John the Baptist. The rest of the world says I'm one of the prophets. You recognize that I'm the Christ, the chosen one. But that's not enough. If you want to follow me, you've got to deny yourself, pick up your cross and follow me. And so let's just look at real quickly, what does it mean for us to deny ourselves? And if you consider yourself a follower of Christ, when was the last time that you denied yourself in an effort to follow Christ better? And now I want you to see the difference between preaching and discipleship. So I'm going to preach the rest of the sermon on what it means to deny yourself. Don't leave when you find out what the sermon's about. About denying yourself and what it means to pick up your cross and what it means to follow Jesus. Okay? Discipleship is, is one-on-one, right? Discipleship is when you take your son or daughter, when you take one of your friends who's just come to the faith, and you put your arm around them and you ask them, how are you doing, brother or sister? And denying yourself, picking up your cross and following Jesus. Because no matter what I say, you can tune me out if you want to. Like you have the ability right now in this room to be thinking about whatever. You have the ability to have a digital Bible in your hands and text your friends or get on Facebook and do stuff. You can do whatever you want and think about whatever you want in this room. But when a brother or sister loves you enough to put their arm around you and they look you eyeball to eyeball and they say, brother, how are you doing denying yourself and following Christ? There is zero wiggle room. And it's uncomfortable. But do you know what it does? It helps you grow in Christ better, faster, and deeper than you've ever grown in your entire life. You, you guys here, there's a real popular preacher on the radio. Uh, I, I would be close to a radio preacher if I had a cool accent. Like, I hear myself and I don't even know how you guys stay here in this room when I listen to recordings to see how a sermon went. But uh, Alistair Begg, right? He's being asked questions on the Family Life Radio. And they say, Alistair, tell us about times when you saw God working the best in your ministry. So here's this popular guy, Alistair Begg, got a huge preaching ministry, big church, all sorts of things being done for the Lord through him, his church, and his ministry. And do you know what his answer is? He says, I saw the Lord working most in my life when somebody loved me enough to come to me one-on-one and confront me about a sin that was in my life. He says, that's when I grew the most. That's when I saw the Lord working the most. You and I need relationships, discipleship-style relationships where we can put our arms around each other and we can help each other grow in the faith. Sunday school doesn't fill that void and preaching on Sunday morning doesn't fill that void. That is something that only happens man to man, woman to woman. You with me? Scriptures are all over in the book of Proverbs talking about iron sharpening iron. That's as iron sharpens iron, one man sharpens another. You may think that you're really sharp after listening to these awesome sermons, but you're not, right? The way that you get sharpened 
is by one man taking you under his wing and him showing you some things. And you, you, you think that he may be showing you things, but you are showing him just as much. Because when you're in a discipling type relationship, you learn just as much from other people as you feel like you're giving. And so let's talk about denial. So Jesus is walking down the road and he says, if you want to follow me, if you want to follow me, this is what you have to do. You have to deny yourself. What does it mean to deny yourself? Well, if you look in the dictionary, deny means to state that one refuses to admit the truth or existence of. And what are we supposed to deny? You're supposed to deny yourself. And so you are to state that you are refusing to admit the truth or existence of yourself. And don't get all crazy on me. What it means for you to deny yourself is to realize that you don't matter as much as Christ matters. Denying yourself. So when you go about life, you go through life in self-denial that you're not the most important person in the room. Christ is the most important person in the room. And whatever your plans are, you're denying your own wants and desires in an effort to further the cause of Christ. So let me see how this thing works out in real life. This is Galatians chapter 2 verse 20. You can turn there if you want or I can read it for you real quick. This is Galatians chapter 2 verse 20. And this is Paul says this. He says, I have been crucified with Christ and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I live now in the flesh, I live by faith in the son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. You catch that? This is how Paul applies self-denial. He says, I've been crucified with Christ and it's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I live now in the flesh, I live by faith in the son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. And so this is Paul saying, gang, I don't matter. This is how my life was. I used to kill Christians. I used to persecute Christians. And I used to be the chief of all sinners. But when Christ came into my life and he forgave me of all of that, it's not me who lives or deserves anything anymore. Now I've been set free from all of that and it's Christ who I'm looking to serve. No longer I who live, but Christ living in me. And so you practice self-denial, not like all of those other religions who will maim themselves, cut themselves, all of those other things. That's, that's weird, okay? Your self-denial is when you go about your daily business and you don't make decisions based on you, you make decisions based on Christ. And so it's not, what do I want to do today? It's, what does Jesus want me to do today? See the difference there? That's denying yourself. Let me tell you how, kind of how this looks like. The people in the hunting community think I'm crazy. Okay? Why? Is it because I don't bring big deer home? Is it because I don't catch a whole lot of big fish? No, they think I'm crazy because when I do go hunting, I take my kids with me everywhere that I go. I, I hunt out of $88 Walmart special tree stands, right? You buy this thing for 88 bucks, you put it in the woods, it stays there for years to come, it's metal, it doesn't rot, uh, it's got, it comes with harnesses, you can strap the kids in, you can, uh, it's got a rail on it so nobody will fall out, hopefully. And so now, uh, as my kids are growing, I have three kids, right? And they're all getting bigger and all four of us sit in a two-person tree stand. Why do we do it? If it was just me hunting, I would ditch the kids. You know why I would ditch the kids? Because they're loud. Because they move a lot. Because they, they, we get to the tree stand and I forget sometimes the smells that come out of their body, right? And deer, deer are real sensitive to smell. 
I'll tell you what happened the other day. Don't, don't, don't ever bring this up again. So we're hunting. We're hunting, and uh, it's prime time, right? We get into the woods about an hour before sunset. I look at my watch, and it is sunset right now. We've got about 30 minutes left to shoot. Child looks at me and says, Dad, I've got to use the bathroom. Son, this is what we've been waiting for. Like, all of the work that we just did in trying to keep you guys quiet is going to be ruined if we walk out of the woods right now. And he says, Dad, i got, I got to go. If, if any of you have children, you know that when a kid says, I got to go, you can't just be the man of the house and say, no, hold it, because it's not going to be held. You following me? You guys ever heard a sermon like this before? And so, so we, we, I say, you know what? This, this hunting and this trip is not about me, right? When I take my kids hunting, it's not about me shooting deer. And when I take my kids fishing, it's not about me catching fish. It's about them having a good time and us spending quality time together. And I use all of those opportunities to disciple them and share with them things about the faith. Right? So hunting is a tool. Do I want to shoot a big deer? Yes. But it's a tool that I'm able to use. I'm able to use something that we both like in order to to further the cause of Christ. And so we climbed down out of the tree stand and we were walking out of the woods. And I look back and one of the children is using the bathroom on the tree stand. And I say, son... You have ruined this tree stand because deer smell and the way they find their way around is through deer doing the things that they do in different places. And now you've just done that in the very place that we want to shoot deer. What were you thinking, bro? And he goes, I told you I had to go. All right. And so to fuss at him? No. I just consider that place a wash for the next few days and we move on. Right? Because, because it's not me that matters. Right? It's the kids. It's the kids having a good time hunting with dad. And if dad chews them out every time they go hunting, that's not having a good time. And so every time I go hunting or fishing with the kids, I have to practice self-denial. And does it sound like it bothers me to do that? No, it's fun because I enjoy the kids and I gladly give up big deer and big, not like I would really get them anyways, but it it sounds good, right? I, I gladly give up these things for the benefit of them having a good time and hopefully being able to further their relationship with Christ through the fun things we do. And you need to be doing that exact same thing for Christ. You need to be gladly giving up and laying things down so that you can further the cause of Christ, even if it means it costs you something that you really want. Like, I'm not going to lie. Blair has shot bigger deer than I have ever seen in my life. And it does bother me. Like, I'm serious. Like, it, it does hurt my feelings that I see pictures of some of you guys with these huge deer. But listen, this, what I'm doing right now, is just a season. Right? I'm not going to be able to fit all of my kids in a tree stand for very long. They're going to grow up, and they're going to get married, and they're going to move away like many of your kids have. And so there's things that God is asking you for that it may seem like you're giving up something big now, but down the road, there's other seasons where you'll be able to do it. Listen, there's, there's going to be a day where I'm your pastor, and you're like, wow, all that guy does is fish because he's got all these big fish. Like, all he does is hunt because he's got all these big deer that he's shot, right? It's coming one day, but it's not, it's not now because I'm giving them those things up for furthering my kids' relationship with Christ. In the same manner, we need to be denying ourselves to further the cause of Christ. So, self-denial. If I was eating lunch with you, and I looked you eyeball to eyeball, and I said, Hey, how are you doing denying yourself to further the cause of Christ? What would your answer be? 
see, you don't have to think about it right now. Some of you are wiggling out of it as we speak. But if we sat down together and you knew that I cared about you and I asked you that question, it would help you grow because you wouldn't be able to escape it. Now, what about this? He says, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and he must take up his cross daily and follow me. And so the next thing that you're supposed to do is you're supposed to pick up your cross daily. So it's not just that you practice self-denial, right? There's religions where you just deny the whole outside world and you keep yourself holy, right? And so that's why monks go into basements where there's no technology, there's no light, there's no nothing. And they just read and write the scriptures every single day, right? Be holy, be holy, be holy. Self-denial, self-denial, self-denial. But Jesus doesn't say just do self-denial. He says, deny yourself. And then he says, take up your cross. So how do you go about taking up your cross? What in the world does that mean? Right? Are you to build a cross in your workshop? Tote it around town? Probably not. Who's to say God's not going to call you to something like that at some point? But probably not. What is the cross? Excuse me. Let's go first. What does it mean to take up? When you take something, you lay hold of it. You reach for it and you hold it. You carry or you bring it with you. So when you take something, it's the implications that you grab it and you're going to take it with you wherever you go. It stays with you. So what does Jesus command you to take up? So you grab your cross. What is a cross? It's not just a pretty necklace you wear. It's it's not just uh, something we keep in front of the church or in the back of the church to look at and remind us of Christ. In his day, when he's saying this, you picking up your cross, the cross is an instrument of death. You pick up your cross and you follow Jesus. The cross is a place where things went to die. Nothing went to the cross and didn't die. You've heard stories of people escaping lethal injection. You've heard of people escaping the electric chair, right? They're rare. Nobody got off of a Roman cross. The Romans were experts at torturing and killing people. At the end of your time on the cross, what did they do to Jesus? They took a spear and they stuck it in his side. And this isn't just like a, oh, poked you in the side, got you, Jesus. This is a, they took a spear and they shoved it in his side, up through his ribs, into his heart. That's a poke in the side. It's an instrument of death. When was the last time you killed something in your life for the sake of following Jesus? When was the last time you looked at your life, you sized it up, and you said, If I'm going to be a true disciple of Christ, that's got to die. Because that isn't Christ-like. I could name things. We'd squirm a little. But if I was in a restaurant with you and we were eating lunch, we'd probably have to eat where you didn't know anybody to have this conversation. If I looked at you and I said, hey, how are you doing taking up your cross and following Christ? What is it that you're picking up and you're putting to death so that you can be more like Christ? See, putting things to death hurts. It's uncomfortable. Don't ever think that the cross was something comfortable. Don't ever think that following Christ is something for you that's to be comfortable. And so if you want to be a real disciple of Christ, you've got to deny yourself. You've got to put Christ in a position ahead of you. And then you've got to figure out what it is that he wants to put to death in your life. And you've got to kill it. And it may be something that you need to take a hold of and you need to start doing. Right? Pick up your cross, follow him. What is it that Christ wants you to pick up and do for him? It doesn't mean that all this is easy. So what else do we have here? I want you to see in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. You can turn there if you want to, or uh, I can just read it for us. But This is 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. And Paul says this, Therefore, 
Second Corinthians chapter five, verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. Therefore, if anyone's in Christ, he's a new creature. The old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. And so here's what happens. You've put your faith in Christ and you have crucified the old self, right? You've repented of your sins. You've put the old man to death. He's, he's been denied. You've picked up your cross. You're following after Jesus. And what I want you to see is that if you don't have the cross, right? If we as Christians didn't have death, we wouldn't have anything better. What do you mean by that? If you don't have the cross and you don't have death, you don't get the resurrection afterwards, right? Jesus can only be resurrected after he dies. Your life can only be what God wants it to be after you kill the things that he wants you to kill and you, you live to the things that he wants to give you. That's why he says that if anyone's in Christ, he's a new creature. The old things have died or passed away and the new things have come. You may think, but if I kill this particular thing in my life, there'll be a void in my life. Listen to me. Whatever you're holding on to that needs to die is already a void. And when you put it to death, Christ will fill it with something greater than you can ever imagine. Jesus is with his disciples, and he's about to die. And the disciples go, Jesus, don't go. Jesus, don't go. You've got that whole dialogue. And Jesus says, wait a minute, gang. It's better for you that I go. Whoa, wait a minute. Jesus. How is it, you're here with us in the flesh right now. How is it better that you go? And Jesus said, it's good that I go and die. How is it good that you die? We have you now. We want you now. And Jesus says, no, don't hang on to me. It's better that I go and die. Why is it better that Jesus dies? Because Jesus Jesus and his resurrection is way more beneficial to you than Jesus on the earth in the flesh in one place. You with me? The resurrected Christ is way more powerful than the Christ that was on the earth. Okay? Excuse me. Don't nuke that too much, okay? It's way more beneficial for us that Christ goes to the cross and he's resurrected than Jesus stay in earthly form the rest of eternity. There's things in your life that you don't think you can let go of. But when you do let go of them, they will be replaced with godlier things that give you way more joy and contentment than you've ever had in your entire life. You just first have to let go of the things that God wants. Then you go on to, what does it mean to follow Jesus? So he says, I'll read it again. He says, if any man wishes to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. So what does it mean now to follow somebody? What does it mean to follow somebody? Funny you ask. To come after, to move or travel behind. So when you follow somebody... Somebody says, hey, follow me. You jump right in line and you go wherever they're going. Follow the leader. You all played this as a kid, right? You all did this as a kid? My downfall as a kid at a certain age uh, was, was jumping chain link fences, right? Whenever we got to a chain link fence in a game of follow the leader, I wasn't the good kid at jumping fences, so that's where I always lost the game, okay? But if you want to win the game of follow the leader, if you want to play the game and not be disqualified, wherever the leader goes, you go. Think about the times in Jesus' life where he told people to follow him. He walks, up to, um, he walks up to some people that are fishing, and he says, Hey, guys, follow me. What do they do? They follow him. These are some of the disciples. He walks up to other people. Uh, he walks up to uh, someone who he says, Hey, follow me. 
and the person goes, oh, well, uh, let me wait until I bury my father and then I'll follow you. Is that person applauded or is that person frowned upon in the scriptures? They're frowned upon because Jesus says, let the dead bury their dead. You come and follow me. Then you've got somebody else. You've got the guy we call the rich young ruler. Jesus tells him, follow me. Sell everything you have. Come follow me. And the guy goes, ooh, I can't really do that. And then you find out in the scriptures that because the guy had much wealth, he couldn't follow Jesus because Jesus told him to sell everything that he had. So what I want you to see is that most of the people in the scriptures, when Jesus said, follow me, they hesitated and they didn't follow Jesus at all. They knew who Jesus was. They knew what they wanted from Jesus. But the cost of following Jesus was too high. And they didn't follow. They may have applauded Christ to their friends. They may have said, hey, I've seen Jesus. I've seen Jesus doing all of these great things. But they were not followers. Okay? They didn't deny themselves. They didn't pick up their cross. And they didn't follow. And so, in turn, what that means is that they they weren't a disciple. Because Jesus said, if you want to be my disciple, this is what you have to do. This is what the life of a disciple looks like. And so, the question on the table here is, how are you doing in self-denial? How are you doing in taking up your cross? And how are you doing actively following Jesus? If the answer is, well, I don't know, you can get it right. Because you can do these things at any point the deal is is that you need to be willing to do them and i want you to see that these are, this is not a list of things that we graduate from right don't look at, don't look at me and go wow he's uh he's denied himself he's picked up his cross and he's following jesus wow isn't that great no like nobody has arrived when it comes to this passage because jesus says that these are things that we need to be doing daily daily do these things it's not a one and done type thing this is something that as you grow in the faith you'll constantly come back to and there will constantly be things that jesus wants you to deny about you there'll be constantly be things that jesus wants to crucify in your life and there will constantly be different directions that jesus wants you to follow him in your life and so you never graduate from this text and if you and i get into discipleship relationships with people we'll continually come back to this text because in order for us to teach people how to obey the things of jesus we've got to walk them through this passage and when we walk them through it it's like a magnifying glass on our own life as to how we're actively doing it and gang it is a convicting thing and so what i want us to do is just to spend the next week praying through this verse ask the lord how you're sizing up have real conversations with yourself as to how you're doing with this And if you want to take it to the next level, ask your spouse how you're doing with this. They'll be honest with you. You may be coming for marriage counseling afterwards, but they'll be honest with you. They will. They'll tell you how you're doing. At least if they're honest, they will. And so I want to close this in prayer. And brothers and sisters, if you're here and you've never put your faith in Christ, you've never uh, taken that leap of faith to follow Christ, I want to invite you to do that. And I want to invite you to do that knowing that we expect you to put your arm around somebody else and to take them on the same journey that you're taking. If you're here and you uh, have been in the faith for a while, I want to encourage you to find somebody and talk to them about this verse. Have a biblical conversation with somebody about how you're doing denying yourself, picking up your cross, and following Jesus. Ask them how they're doing. Let them ask you how you're doing. It doesn't mean that you have to be doing great. 
But listen, there's people that I have relationships with that when I spend time around them, being around them, having biblical conversations encourages me and pushes me to be more godly. Right? I hang out with some of you guys and I see the way that you operate your family and I appreciate it. I see the way that you operate your businesses. I appreciate it. I see the way that some of you are generous financially with your personal finances, not just with business finances. Finances and all of those things encourage me to be more sacrificial and to be more godly in the things that he's called me to do. And so it doesn't mean that we have to be rock star Christians to do this discipleship. It means that when we do this discipleship, that it helps us to become the Christians that we need to be. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you that you have called us not just to be converted and have our faith in you, but you've called us to win the world and to make disciples of all nations. Father, I pray that you would help to equip us to be the disciples you've called us to be. Father, I pray that you would help us to uh, give our faith to others. Lord, help us to not have so many hollow conversations with each other, but Lord, help us to have good, solid, biblically-based conversations, actively seeing how we measure up to the things you've called us to. Lord, I pray that none of us as followers of Christ would take the easy way out, but Father, I pray that we would look at what you've commanded, and I pray that we would actively pursue it. Father, lastly, if there's anyone here who's never put their faith in you, I pray that today would be the day that they step out in faith, knowing that you're the Son of God, that you died for their sins and rose from the dead. And Father, we ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen.